This is Because I Said So, parenting advice with love and leadership from the nation's leading parenting expert, John Roseman, syndicated columnist, author, conference speaker, and the only psychologist to point out that psychology has caused more problems than it has solved. From American Family Radio, here's your host, John Roseman. Welcome back to the show. Uh, When I say back, I am being optimistic that you are not a first-time listener, but if you are... I'm your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So. Why is it called Because I Said So? Because I Said So. And I am uh, a family psychologist, syndicated newspaper columnist, author, speaker on parenting and family issues. And if you have the desire to find out more about me, you can go to my website, johnrosemond.com, J-O-H-N. R-O-S-E-M-O-N-D. Last year, a very intelligent but equally common sense challenged 17-year-old girl told me she was a boy. Now, this was the same bombshell she dropped on her parents several months before, causing them, as you might well imagine, significant angst. I asked her if she possessed any male biological characteristics, and she freely admitted she did not. She had come to the conclusion she was a boy because she told me she felt like a boy. I asked how boys felt. After a long pause, she told me she just didn't feel like a girl. She was more interested in boy stuff. I asked her to define boy stuff. And she launched into an obviously rehearsed monologue to the effect that a person's gender was not defined by biology but was strictly a matter of feelings, feelings, these postmodern things called feelings, and that people were free to choose whatever gender they felt most comfortable with, there apparently being more than two that one can choose from. And that was that. End of conversation. Over the past few years, a number of parents have asked my counsel concerning teenage children who have suddenly announced that they are not the genders stated on their birth certificates. I honestly don't know what to tell them, so I fall back on the obvious. Their kids are very confused. In some cases, however, a parent has become equally confused, thinking that perhaps their child is right after all. Isn't that amazing? In one case, a Catholic priest told the parents of a very mixed-up teenage girl that it was indeed possible for a boy to be born in a girl's body and vice versa. How a Catholic priest knows this to be true is beyond me. I cannot seem to find any reference to it in the Bible. Perhaps this is yet another of Pope Francis's brainstorms. In early 2015, Oregon enacted a policy allowing 15-year-olds to obtain sex change operations. Neither the very confused children nor the physicians in question are required to obtain parental consent. 15-year-old kids. When the news broke and became the subject of a group discussion on the Internet, one physician reported that, quote, at St. Louis Children's Hospital, we offer transgender therapy for adolescents Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital, the Catholic hospital in St. Louis, also provides transgender therapy for teens, end quote. 
It was not clear whether the physician who posted this comment was pleased to report that or not. Make no mistake about it, folks. The purpose of said therapy, which is gladly provided by certain evil psychologists and other evil mental health professionals, now they're not just misguided, they're evil, is not to help said adolescents recover from their delusional states. One would think that's what psychology is all about. Not any longer, folks. Take it from one who is licensed to practice psychology by the North Carolina Psychology Board. That is not what psychologists do anymore. They enable sick people to be sick and maybe even sicker. In this case, it is uh, the psychologist's mental health professional's goal to help these teenagers accept that what the voices in their heads are telling them is true and successfully adjust. In most cases, this therapy proceeds being, and I hate to be blunt, folks, but I'm going to be sedated, wheeled into an operating room and being permanently physically maimed by a physician who is convinced of the nobility of his deed. I happen to have a fairly good memory of being 15 years old. It was my sophomore year in high school, 1962-63. I was a straight-A student. In addition to what I was required to read for American literature, I was into stuff like Leon Uris's Exodus and Never Cry Wolf by Farley Mowat, stuff other kids weren't reading. My hobbies were my chemistry set and building transistor radios. In the IQ department, in other words, I was no slouch. But in the emotions department, I was an impulsive, self-dramatic, and often irrational moron. And I was the norm. Or at least within one standard deviation of it, my observations of and discussions with today's teens lead me to conclude that impulsivity and Self-drama in 15-year-olds has increased exponentially over the last 50 years. And we are to believe that although they are deemed too immature to cast responsible votes, consume alcoholic beverages, join the military, obtain tattoos, drive, smoke, donate blood, <laughs> or even lie in a tanning bed, 15-year-olds are mature enough to decide that their bodies are wrong and obtain corrective surgery with or without the consent of their parents. And by the way, folks, I use the word corrective wryly. Anyone who's been 15 and survived knows that young teens and perhaps teens in general do not possess a clear understanding of long-term consequences. For many of them, the longest of long terms is the coming weekend. Making matters much worse, the present crop of teens seems to think that a life without drama and victimhood is devoid of meaning. Not surprisingly, their role models are trailer trash like the Kardashians. Is it any wonder, then, that the latest drama of choice for teenagers is, I'm a, choose, girl or boy, stuck in a, choose, boy or girl's, body. To be clear, the belief that one's biological gender is a mistake, that male and female are, in the words of the aforementioned 17-year-old, a matter of feelings, is called a delusion. 
A person who says that when he, she stands in front of a mirror, he, she sees she or he is either hallucinating or lying in order to attract attention to themselves. In either case, we're talking about either a serious mental disturbance or narcissistic sociopathy. The people in question, including the infamous Caitlyn Jenner, need serious help from compassionate people who know what they're doing. Apparently, this does not include a significant number of people in my profession, psychology. Since its founding, psychology has straddled the line dividing ideology from science. But in the late 1960s and early 1970s, it resolved the tension and became the former. It became an ideology. While continuing to cultivate a public perception of scientific authenticity, the profession tends to attract people who adhere to a secular progressive worldview meaning people who believe new ideas are better than old ideas. Folks, I am a psychologist. I'm going to tell you again. I tell my audience quite frequently, and my profession, psychology, is the most atheistic, liberal profession on the planet. There is no profession more liberal, more progressive, more postmodern, than psychology. It is a dangerous thing for Christians to get involved with psychology. Even so-called Christian psychologists, whom highly respected pastor John MacArthur has pointed out, are confused people. You cannot be a Christian and a psychologist simultaneously That tension cannot be resolved. I've been a psychologist for 43 years. I've worked in a variety of settings, including private practice. My experienced take is that psychologists often are restrained from substituting more often than not. Encourage people to have symptoms by helping them construct what I call Personal soap operas in which they are victims and their symptoms are therefore justified. In other words, instead of helping people come to grips with wrongheadedness and become right-headed, psychologists tend to focus on and legitimate the feelings that arise from the wrongheadedness. That happens because the profession encourages wrongheadedness in its practitioners by promoting fad therapies cut out of whole cloth by people with too much time on their hands. The ruling ethic seems to be, Freud did it, so can you. The latest iteration of this psychoevolutionary process is adolescent transgender therapy, in which a very wrong-headed therapist helps, put the word in quotes, a very wrong-headed teenager, quote, come to grips, end quote, with the need to, quote, resolve the conflict, end quote, between his or her self-image and his or her biology. This is child exploitation, pure and simple. 
And these psychologists are people who desire to feel morally superior than the rest of us. Folks, this is your host, John Roseman. The show is called Because I Said So. Go to my website, johnrosemond.com. You can find my speaking schedule. I may be speaking in your area. You can find my books, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, we're up against a break. I will be back shortly. Please stay with us. More shocking stuff to come. Welcome back. Before the break, I was talking about adolescent transgender therapy in the broader context of teenagers who have suddenly decided that they are not the gender to which God assigned them. And I'm talking about the fact that this is just another example of the completely unethical, immoral direction that my profession psychology has gone in over the last 40 to 50 years. This uh, adolescent transgender therapy is, I said before the break, child exploitation. But very few in the profession of psychology are willing to raise even the slightest concern for fear of being publicly denounced and even hauled up before disciplinary boards and stripped of their licenses. In the state of California, for example, the uh, psychologists in the state were able to persuade state legislature, the state legislature, to make it illegal for a therapist to try to help a gay person stop engaging in homosexual behavior. That, that is how off the balance beam my uh, profession has gotten over the last 50 years. I know of which I speak, of what I speak, because in 1995, my licensing board, the North Carolina Psychology Board, threatened to strip me of my license because I had the gall to question the legitimacy of recovered memory therapy in my syndicated newspaper column. It took two very expensive attorneys to cause my licensing board to be content with giving me a slap on the wrist. In May of 2013, the Psychology Board of Kentucky, acting through the office of the Attorney General of Kentucky, accused me of practicing psychology in Kentucky without a license. Mind you, their definition of practicing psychology consisted of the fact that four Kentucky newspapers carry my syndicated column. Do I threaten these people or what? And I will say at this point in time, that I do not believe that all therapy, this is not what I'm saying, I'm not saying that all counseling is bogus. That is not what I'm saying. Hear me clearly. Psychological therapy, I believe, is bogus. No study has ever confirmed the efficacy at a reliable level of any psychological therapy. No study has ever confirmed the rightness of any psychological theory concerning human nature. But I'm not saying that counseling per se is bogus, however, because it's not. But being a psychologist in and of itself doesn't make a person a good counselor, and lots of fine counselors 
took no more than introductory psychology in college, if they even went. Therapists are supposed to help people improve their thinking, develop control over their emotions, and enhance the overall quality of their lives. Therapists who, quote, help, end quote, 15-year-old boys except that they are really girls are helping no one but themselves. We're talking here about people who think of themselves as compassionate. I'm talking about psychologists, forward-thinking and morally gifted. A compulsive need to indulge their love of themselves is their primary motivator. Take it from me, folks. I mean, been there, done that. This is how I came out of graduate school. I am a recovered psychologist. Not recovering, I have recovered through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Um, I have to admit, having said all that, I do indulge in some pride over the fact that psychologists don't want me in their club. But back to my point, indulging wrong-headedness in adolescence is a means for these people of feeling good about themselves. For the moment, however, let's assume that the aforementioned 17-year-old is correct and one, one's real gender is not a matter of biological characteristics, but rather a matter of one's feelings and thoughts. In that event, to carry forward the logic of this line of thinking, the biological characteristics that define a human being and differentiates said human being from other species are, therefore, also meaningless. It is a small step from asserting that a biological female is actually and in reality a male to asserting that a human being is actually and in reality a beaver and deserving, therefore, of certain entitlements befitting a beaver, including a cool stream to swim in and the right to dam said stream. Beaver people might not even know they are beavers, in which case they are in need of trans-species therapy to help them get in touch with their real beaver selves. I'm sure there are sufficient numbers of psychologists out there who would jump at this cutting-edge opportunity. The reader who thinks, the listener, that is, I'm so used to readers, that I'm being merely frivolous should consider that in 1960, 100% of Americans would have regarded as absurd the notion that the United States Supreme Court in the year 2015 would legitimize homosexual marriage. They would have universally scoffed at the idea that in that same year, a genetically 100% male Olympic, former Olympic champion would publicly announce that he was really a woman and submit to an operation to fulfill his bizarre fantasies and that the mainstream media would celebrate his lunacy as, quote, courageous, end quote. In that historical context, the not-too-distant future possibility of humans deciding they are rodents and psychologists offering trans-species therapy to help them make the transition from loathsome, climate-destroying beings to environmentally conscious stream-dwelling furballs is worthy of sober reflection. 
In the course of discussing Oregon's new transgender teen policy with some other mean-spirited conservatives, someone lamented, where is it all going to end? The answer to that question is, it isn't. The human race stepped over a line in 1973 when the American Psychiatric Association effectively normalized homosexuality by declassifying it as a mental illness. Since then, courtesy of one of the most brilliant marketing campaigns of all time, homosexuals have been able to convince the majority of Americans that their attraction to persons of their own gender is beyond their control, that they were born that way. An assertion that most people would be surprised to learn has never been proven, and which even some liberal geneticists maintain is impossible. Central to promoting this canard has been the straw man argument to the effect that no one would consciously choose a lifestyle that is reviled by so many other people. By the same reasoning, murderers, rapists, child abusers, child molesters, and animal abusers can't help what they're doing either. After all, they aren't thought too highly of either. The argument is absurd, but it worked. And today, people like myself who believe homosexuality is a choice with dire moral implications for the consumer, in other words, the chooser, are regarded as haters. The they-can't-help-it argument, therefore, is ironically self-fulfilling, downright Aristotelian even. A. Anyone who thinks homosexuality is a choice is a hater, B, by that standard, a good number of people hate homosexuals. C, therefore, homosexuality is not a choice. I mean, it's just absurd. Absolutely ridiculous. But folks, when you boil it all down, that's what the argument basically proposes and comes down to. Actually, the lid blew off the Pandora's box of relativism in the late 1960s, when the new left, of which yours truly was one at the time, decided it was wrong to judge others, because in so doing one was using arbitrary, cultural, and or subcultural norms. The lefties deconstructionists, in other words, liberals, maintained that people should be free to express their individuality in whatever way they chose, as long as said expressions did not violate the rights of others. Letting it all hang out became a sign of the truly liberated, real, authentic person, regardless of the it that was hanging out. As the line between right and wrong began to blur, those who stood firm for the preservation of traditional values for holding the line became narrow-minded bigots, all the more so if they were Christians. The Germans call it Zeitgeist, referring to the spirit of the times. In the 1960s, the bulwarks that had managed to keep the pseudo-intellectual barbarians at bay came tumbling down, and the new Jacobins came rushing in. I'm referring to the French Revolution, folks. 
One standard fell to the frenzied mob mentality, then another, then another. The objective submitted to the subjective, facts submitted to feelings, truth submitted to relativism. It was inevitable that sooner or later, the matter of gender would submit as well. This is the living hell, the word is in the Bible, of post-modernity. In the words of one of its prophets, Jim Morrison, lead singer of The Doors, this is the end of everything that stands, the end. Thanks for joining us. I'm here on American Family Radio every Saturday at 5 o'clock Central Time. Hope to see you next time.